0: You know, sometimes you have an idea in your head and uh, it's funny how sometimes God uses that quite a bit differently than you had anticipated. And when I asked uh, Brian, I guess about a month ago, if he'd be interested in his, him and his kids leading worship uh, on this particular Sunday on Father's Day, my the picture I had in my head was just a great dad and two great kids uh, sending it for us and leading us in worship. What I didn't know uh, was that I would genuinely need um, what they were bringing this morning. And I'm thankful for that. Thank you guys for for blessing my heart and leading me in worship today. Is anybody back there at the computer? Because this thing is really not wanting to work. Thank you. It's just not being nice to me today. All right, it's not my lunchtime. This is time for Sermon in the Sack. So if we got some kids in the room, you want to join me on the platform today... As you're coming, you will have an opportunity to win your dad the ultimate in Father's Day gifts, is what I have here today. And if you can guess what it is, you get to take it to your daddy uh, because I know probably most of you forgot it was even Father's Day, right? Is it, <laughs> is it a subway napkin? No, it is not a subway napkin. It's much better than a subway napkin. Well, I guess you could wipe your face with this too if you needed to. All right, so Sermon in the Sack, here's how it works. I'm going to give you a, a set of clues, and if you can guess what is in the sack today, then you will get to have it, but it's for your dad. This is not for you today, so you're playing for your dad, um, and you'll understand why in just a minute. Okay, so you've got to figure out what's in the sack, okay? Y'all ready? All right, first clue. Yes, quick question. What about his dad? What about his dad? He can send it to him in the mail. He'll be here. He's coming home home pretty soon, yeah. Billy will be back shortly. All right. First clue. A person who collects these is called a grabatologist. A person who collects what I have in the sack today is called a grabatologist. That's a real word, by the way. Any guesses? We'll take one guess. No one yet has got any of my clues on the first guess, except for Matthew Tabor, and you know, your dad wears ties all the time, so (laughs) there you are, my friend. There is your very own (laughs) necktie. All right, well, just for the fun of it, let's learn what else we would have learned about neckties today. Man, ruined it all for me already. Okay. The first neckties were actually worn by a Chinese emperor in the year 210 B.C. Ironically enough, most ties today are still made in China, and so I guess they were the first ones to kind of come up with that whole deal. Uh, The most expensive tie ever made, it was worth over $200,000. It was made of gold and diamonds, which would have been really heavy around your neck, I'm guessing, Uh, but that's, that's a real thing. Uh, to use the tie, you might need to know a few knots. Some are called the, the Pratt Knot, the Windsor Knot, the Four in Hand. Uh, I don't know what the one that I use is called, but it's, uh, it always looks quite silly. But. And the last thing, this is the most popular Father's Day gift around the world. And so uh, you now have in your hand an awesome tie from my own personal collection. Uh, I'm glad to get rid of them, truthfully. I'm thankful to be in a church now where I don't have to wear those horrid things very often. Uh, happy Father's Day, everyone, and kids, we've got something for you guys. Even though you may not have won the glorious tie this morning, uh, you do have an opportunity uh, to get a prize at the end of the service today. On the back, before you go, don't leave yet, don't leave yet. I want to show you what you're looking for. On the back, there are five C words on the back of the bulletin. i work kids' bulletin today. Adults, you don't get to participate in this. Even though some of you have tried to get candy for Miss Jeannie, I've heard. On your way out, just because you fill out your bulletin doesn't mean you get candy. Uh, But you guys, if you can find the five C words that are on the back of the bulletin, they'll be up on the screen and they will be underlined on the screen. If you can find those and fill them in, your parents can help you. Uh, Then you can get a prize from Miss Jeannie at the end of the service today. Sorry there, Corey, Cody. And so now that you got your bulletins, everybody can go back to your seats. Let's give them a hand today. All right, Matthew chapter 5, sorry, chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be in our time in God's Word this morning. Today's message is called Invest in Eternity. This is the I in our uh, in our acronym, SHINE, that we're using this month. Uh, first week we talked about what it means to seek His kingdom first. Last week we talked about what it means to honor God as our master Today we're going to talk about what it means specifically for dads, and I'm going to talk a lot to dads today. Moms, you're not really off the hook on this as much as it's just a message I feel very strongly about uh, for, our, for our dads today. Invest in eternity, a Father's Day manifesto. Now I've used that term because I really love that word. I love the word manifesto. It's a very manly word, it's a very strong word, and I want to give you a definition this morning of the word manifesto as we get into uh, this today. But we'll, before we do that, let's go ahead and read the scripture, Matthew six nineteen through 21. If you'll stand in honor of God's word today, uh, we'll read that together. The Lord Jesus was teaching on a hillside, giving this what we now know as the Sermon on the Mount, and these are his words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. With that thought on your mind, you can be seated. Father, I'll make my prayer really simple right now, God. Would you take your word and apply it to our hearts specifically, Lord? I pray that you grab hold of the hearts of fathers in this room and do what only you can, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a Father's Day manifesto. Let me give you a definition of what a manifesto is, in case that's not a word that uh, you use very often. A manifesto is a public declaration of intentions. A public declaration of intentions. This is a person standing boldly and saying, this is what I am staking my life upon. Now, this word has been misused in many venues. Uh, For instance, there is what is known as the communist manifesto, which is uh, not a good deal. There have been some other manifestos that weren't necessarily good things. But the idea behind a manifesto is, I have this set of beliefs that I'm going to publicly proclaim and live according to those beliefs. A manifesto is devoid of hypocrisy. A a manifesto is devoid of the kind of divided heart we talked about last night. A manifesto is, this is who I am, this is what I believe, and this is how I will live as a result. And that's what we're going to talk about today, especially as it relates fathers. I believe Jesus already gave us a great manifesto for dads. Dads, don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And the truth that undergirds that whole statement is this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to find out what's in a man's heart, we've talked about this in weeks past. Look in his pocketbook, look at his calendar, look at the things he spends his time talking about and doing, and you will see very clearly that his treasure is where his heart is. Jesus didn't say where your treasure is your heart might be, or it could possibly be. He was saying this is an equality here. Your heart will be where your treasure is. The thing that you love most will capture your heart. You were created that way. He goes on there to say, so store up then, if not treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. Well, what does that even really mean? Many of you have heard this passage of scripture taught all the way back to your days in vacation Bible school when you were as young as some of the kids that were here on the, on the platform. And as we look at these, uh, these truths this morning, storing up treasures in heaven, I want to give you a definition that I believe adequately describes the treasures in heaven that Jesus is talking about here. A treasure in heaven is anything that believers can take with them beyond the grave. Take that in for a moment. A treasure in heaven is anything that believers can take with them beyond the grave. Now there may be some people in the room right now that are going, well, you can't take anything with you beyond the grave. You just die and that's the end of it. Well, I'm going to beg to differ with you this morning because the very word of God says there is much that's going to happen beyond the grave. And there are some things that we will be able to take from this life into the next. Uh, There's an old story that was told of a man who uh, was given a promise by God that at the end of his days, he would be able to pick one thing to take with him to heaven. The man thought that was a good deal, and so he spent all of his life accumulating wealth. And by the end of his life, he had a large briefcase full of gold bars. And so when his time came on his deathbed, he knew the promise of God that was made to him. And after his dying breath, when he was being asked by God, what do you want to bring with you into heaven? He chose to take along with him that suitcase only to find that as he entered in those pearly gates, someone approached him and said, why did you bother to bring pavement with you? You see, the things of this world aren't going to matter a whole lot when we get to heaven, but the things of heaven should matter a great deal to us while we live on this Earth, and that 's what Jesus is saying, make an eternal investment. Be willing to invest your life in the things that will last beyond the grave. and I 'm going to give you five of those this morning on your outline. you'll notice that there are five CDs. You could go down to the bank tomorrow morning and you could invest in some CDs at our bank, but you 're only going to get a one percent return at best. Somebody reminded me this morning it's probably less than one percent. you 're going to get a hundred percent plus return from every one of these. And men, I want you to listen up. Five eternal investments that you can make by the grace of God and for the good of your family and those that God has called you to minister to. Eternal investment number one is a Christ-focused devotion. I want you to see each of these uh, like a ripple Effect on a pond you take a stone and you throw it out there into the pond Which I used to love to do as a kid and you see the ripples going out from that one stone and that's the picture of what I'm hoping to give to you this morning is this ripple effect. That the very first one here, this, this idea of, of having a Christ-focused devotion, is really just the starting point. Sometimes we see this as the ending point. Well, I gave my life to Jesus, and now I can just kind of do whatever I want to do until heaven comes. But I want you to see that Christ-focused devotion is merely the starting point. It's merely the, the rock tossed into the pond, and there are many more ripples that are meant to come from that. What Alexis pictured for us this morning so beautifully in her baptism, that is a starting line, folks. For far too many, baptism has been an ending point, and it was never meant to be that. Baptism is supposed to be the start of your race with Christ. It starts with Christ-focused devotion. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That means all that we are devoted to all that he is. We were created as worshiping beings. And having a Christ-focused devotion means that I simply fall in love with Jesus. Now some of you are going, well that doesn't sound like a very manly thing to do. But I want to say to you this morning, that is the most manly thing you could ever do. Because you were created to love him first. You were created to love him above all things because loving him first puts every other ripple in this pond in its rightful order. But it's because we don't get first things first that all the rest of our lives are a mess. And I would hate for us at the end of our days to find that we invested in things that were merely pavement in the kingdom of heaven not worth anything when we could have been investing in eternal things that bore much more weight than gold so how do we do this how how do i begin to live with a christ-focused devotion the bible does not leave us wanting if you look over in hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 you see this picture that's being given of a race that's being run Again, this is the starting point of this race. And the way the runners are called to run is found in Hebrews 12 too, which says, run this way, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And it goes on from there to say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And so a man who desires to internally invest his life in the things that will last beyond the grave, he must first begin with a Christ-focused devotion. All that I am, devoted to all that he is, looking to Jesus, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesday nights, but day by day, beginning every day, fixing my eyes upon Christ as I kneel by my bed in prayer. Spending every evening as I as I read his word, fixing my eyes upon Jesus. Why? Because if I'm not fixing my eyes upon him, every other ripple is going to be out of order. I guarantee you that's going to be the case. Because you were created to worship him first, to love him first, to be devoted to him first. And he enables you men to get every other priority that should be in your life in the right place. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to go perfectly with you and all the circumstances of your life are going to line up exactly as you want it to. In fact, the adventurous life of living for Jesus is often going to bring twists and turns that are completely unexpected. If you had told me as a 15, 16-year-old boy that I was going to be doing what I'm doing today, I would have laughed in your face because I was the quiet kid that sat in the corner of the youth room and hoped nobody addressed him or looked at him. The life of following Jesus is an adventure. The first place we have to begin is to truly examine our hearts and see if we have been utterly devoted, giving ourselves wholly over to Jesus Christ. I know there are always places in us that that we're withholding from him, but more and more moving in that direction as we're looking to Jesus, seeing him as our example, running toward him, loving him, wanting more of him in our lives. And then we begin to see the second ripple in the pond, eternal investment number two. And kids, this is your second C-word. I hope you got the first one. Turn of investment number two is this it's character development. You see, this is what begins to happen as you begin to to walk in a place where you're focused on Christ, where you're loving him, where you're devoted to him, you're wanting more of him in your life. Then he begins to develop within you Christ-like character. You begin to grow in humility. You begin to grow in integrity. You begin to grow in love for other people. You begin to grow more as a godly husband, a godly father. But it all begins with that first ripple in the pond, that first stone is Christ himself. He is the rock that causes all the rest of the ripples. And the second ripple is you begin to see Christ-like character formed in you as you're walking with him. As you read his word, as you look to the character attributes of Christ and you begin to see he ultimately is the greatest of men's men. A man's man, above all. We have these horrible pictures today. I almost dropped my Bible. These horrible pictures today of what I call pansy Jesus. And, and it's this ridiculous, long-haired hippie with gentle blue eyes. It looks like he would never hurt a fly. And we reject pictures like Jesus going into the temple that day and flipping over people's tables and taking a bunch of cords and making a whip and driving people out of the temple because they were misusing the house of God. We, we ignore pictures of Jesus like the day when he stood up to the popular people known as the Pharisees and looked him in the face and said, You brood of vipers, woe to you. We, we don't like those pictures of Jesus because we think he should be this meek and mild, gentle Jesus who would never hurt a fly, and ultimately it's the wrong picture. Jesus was a man's man. He was the utmost of men's men, otherwise he would not have been able to endure the cross for us. You see, the suffering of the cross was much more than Physical. The suffering of the cross was deeply spiritual. The greatest agony in Jesus' life were not the nails driven into his hands and feet, folks. It was the fact that for a moment he was separated from his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me was his cry from the cross. That was the moment of greatest agony. Jesus was a man's man and every man who wants to be a man should look to Jesus for the ultimate example of who that is character development. Titus 2, seven says to us as men, show yourself in all respects, in every area of your life, to be a model of good works. And I want to say, as I've said many times, folks, hear me clearly. Good works will not save you. Being a good person will not earn you a place in heaven it was never meant to. But when Jesus captures your heart and fixes your gaze upon him and changes radically your life, as he did for Alexis this morning, you cannot help but be changed. You cannot help but begin to see him transforming you from the inside out. And that's just the second ripple in the pond we're talking about this morning. And I'm going to spend the longest part of our time looking at this third one. Eternal investment number three. And kids, here's your third C word. The third CD is Children's Discipleship. Dads, many of you have your kids sitting right next to you right now, and I want you to take a look at your kid for a moment. And here's the thought I want to imprint upon your mind this morning. If you take away nothing else this morning, Dad, I want you to take this away this morning. I want you to look at your kid, and every time you see your kid in the foreseeable future, I want this thought in your mind. He or she is God's greatest opportunity given to me to store up treasures in heaven. Let me say that again. Every time you look at your kid, you need to look at your kid and have this thought in your mind. He or she is God's greatest, God-given opportunity for me to store up treasures in heaven. Men, far too many of us spend way too much of our time in what I call the spiritual lazy boy. We sit back in passivity, many of us pushing the obligations of of spiritual growth and discipling our children off onto our wives or off onto our youth pastors or off onto our children's directors. We push them off on anybody else because we don't think that we can bear that role. And what we don't realize is the role is yours whether you wanted it or not. The day that you walked the aisle and said I do to your wife was the day that you took on the role of spiritual leadership in your home. Wow, let me say something to you for a moment. Many of you, I know because you've come and asked me to pray for your husbands, I want to alter one of the primary prayers I hear you asking for just a little bit. So we have so many godly women in this congregation who are earnestly asking that we would pray that their husbands would step up and take the role of spiritual leader in their homes. I want to alter the prayer just a moment. And I hope it'll change the way you're praying Godly women that are asking for that. Understand clearly that it is not that men need to step up into a role that they're not already in. This is a God-given role. Men, hear me clearly. The moment you walked the aisle and said, I do, in fact, even before you were born, God created you to be the spiritual leader in your home. The question is not whether or not you will lead spiritually in your home. Hear me clearly. The question is not whether or not you will lead spiritually in your home. Chris, I hope you're listening this morning. You're getting ready to get in this spot. The question is, how will you lead spiritually in your home? You will be the primary reason why your kids either grow up loving Jesus or hating the Lord because they look and they see, well, he talks about him as a spiritual father, and my earthly father wasn't much good, so I guess I don't really need him either. Dads, it's time for us to get out of the spiritual lazy boy and take on the role of actively discipling our kids. And it's not rocket science, guys. I'm I'm not asking you this morning to start setting aside an hour every night to go deep in prayer with your children. If you desire to do that, wonderful. But that's talking about baby steps here. And I'm going to give you some things before we leave today to take up the role that's already yours. This is not something that you have to step into It's already something that's been given to you by God. He gave you this great opportunity to do the very thing that Jesus has called you to, to store up treasures in heaven in that little boy, that little girl that he gave to you. I can guarantee you this, Dad. There will never come a time when you become an empty nester and you look back on the years with your kids. I can guarantee you, you will never have the thought, I really wish I hadn't spent so much time with my kids. I can guarantee you, Dad, you will never have the thought, I really wish that I hadn't talked so much about Jesus to my kids. You'll never be in a place where you'll go, you know what? All that time that we spent worshiping God together as a family, that was just such a waste. Because, see, it's a heavenly investment. It's going to multiply itself over the years. And those who are faithful to it get to see godly grandchildren being raised by the godly children that they raise. This is the heritage from the Lord. In Psalm 127, I love this psalm. I taught it on Father's Day a few years ago. Listen to verse 3 of Psalm 127 Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Far too often, it seems like our children are less of a blessing to us and more of a burden. And I know what it's like, dads, I know what it's like to come home after a long day of dealing with ornery people and all you want to do is crawl up in your recliner and flip on the TV and veg out for a few hours until bedtime comes. And then the little rogue rat comes up beside your recliner and, and wants to play and wants to ask you questions and wants to interact with you and you just want to be left alone. I know what that's like. It's a struggle for me on a regular basis. But it's time for us to kick our butts out of the recliner and get on the floor and play some Legos. And in the midst of those moments, to take every opportunity to share with our kids some of God's Word. Let them see you praying with them and for them. When you sit down to the dinner table, take just a few minutes, read a few verses of Scripture before you eat your meal. Just simple things. It doesn't have to be these grand gestures that we so often think about. But allowing our children to see God in us and standing as men who can say as Paul did, follow me as I follow Christ. That's one of the scariest statements that you can make, but it'll also be one of the most fulfilling. As you walk with humility and integrity before God to be able to look at your sons and daughters and say this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Come on, let's do it together. Dad, whether you like it or not, you are the primary discipler of your child. You are the one that has been given the task of helping your son or daughter to look more like Jesus, more than anybody else on this planet. It's you. And no one can take that spot. It's yours. And I know we have so many children that are growing up in situations where dad is either physically absent or emotionally absent. And so that means that some of us men need to be stepping in as spiritual surrogate parents and trying as best we can to fill in that gap. For every child, there's only given one daddy that was meant to fulfill that role. And men, it's time for us. It's time in a culture in which the whole definition of manhood is being diminished Nobody even really understands what it means to be a man anymore. We're, we're, we're either th- this slacker who, who just lives his life in the recliner and all he brings home to the family is the paycheck, or we're this overbearing, arrogant, impossible person to live with. It's my way or the highway. And somewhere in the midst of those two, the passive guy who's rejecting his role and the guy who's domineering his role lies the biblical standard of a man who's actively pursuing The things of God, especially in relation to his children. So, Dad, next time you look at your kid, I want this thought sitting in your head. That is my number one opportunity to build up treasures in heaven. Above everything else in your life, this is the biggest ripple in your pond. Make the most of it. And God will show you how, I guarantee. Get your heart in the right place where you're focused on Jesus. Allow him to build within you Christ-like character. And you can't help but want to do that in the lives of your kids number four eternal investment number four comes in the church's duty i'm going to make a statement that i've made several times lately and i just just honestly guys we get to this time of the year and this is one of the most frustrating times of the year for me as a pastor I kind of dread June in a way because I know what's going to happen. We get to this time of the year, we, we've been moving full steam ahead through the spring, and we get to the first of June, school lets out, and within two weeks, it's like everything has shifted, and everybody's too busy. And we take a break from our regularly scheduled programs and activities. And so often during this time of the year, we also take a break from the things of God. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you guys are the ones that are here. It plagues my heart that on Father's Day, a day that ought to be our highest attended day, it's often one of our lowest attended days because we're looking more forward to the cookout we're going to have than the church service that we're supposed to be at. Let's be reminded this morning that church was never meant to be a country club where we come and pay our dues in order to be served. The church is a platoon of soldiers who are devoted to their service because their commander-in-chief laid down his life for them. And so the reason why I even hesitated to use this word today, the church's duty, because it sounds like, well, it's just some obligation. No, it, it comes out of that heartfelt devotion to Christ when you look at what Christ did for you on the cross, the thought that should follow in your mind is, how could I do anything less? How could I give anything less but my life for the one who gave his life for me, who purchased for me everlasting, eternal life? So much of the life that we spend, we dwell so much upon ourselves, spending it upon our own wants. when all the while we have such great opportunities to build up spiritual treasures. In the midst of this church's duty that we're talking about this morning, we say this, men. I believe firmly there are some of you in this room that God is calling out to go and to serve in our children's ministry. Hear me for a moment. We have dozens of kids that come in and out of our church every week. Many of them have no godly example in their lives. A lot of them don't even have dads at home. And I got to thinking this week, about a man that, to me, exemplified the kind of man that we're talking about this morning. He was so soft-spoken, but he was a powerful man. Many of you remember a man named Robert Wilson. Robert stands for me as an example, of the kind of man that I want to be. Raised three awesome godly daughters, who are now married to three awesome godly men who are now raising godly grandchildren for Robert. Robert passed away this last year from cancer, and we watched him. We watched him battle. But I remember when Robert Wilson served week in and week out in our children's ministry when he was actually here in this building. And he and Sandy would come in, and they would just invest in the lives of these kids. And they were so faithful. And those kids loved Robert and Sandy because